he looked down at the rushing river and told himself that he had no choice. The elders had cast him out. He had been disowned, and now he was rudderless, homeless, alone on a crowded road. He did not count the new wife or the children as companions. They were plants uprooted before they had formed into shape or type. They were adrift on this high road above a river that divided them from everything they had come to expect. When I inherit, we will have a good piece of land, his dear Rebecca had said whenever he'd chafed at his dependence on her family. She had always said it, and he had eventually decided there was no shame in having a wealthy wife. He had spent twelve years working for the tobacco firm owned by his father-in-law, but then Rebecca had sickened after her fifth childbirth. All so sudden it had been, and everyone bewildered while Daniel stared into the flame of his wife's bedside candle trying to understand. Neglecting his work and forgetting to eat or wash, he gave over the details of the children's daily care to a fifteen-year-old girl he had brought in from the almshouse. An orphan. Her name was Ruth Boyd. Mother Groob fussed in the kitchen, while Rebecca lay in her four-poster bed holding her husband's sleeve. The entire Groob family kept arriving and departing without announcement, but when Rebecca died on the twenty-first day after Joseph's birth, they seemed to evaporate. The sisters were married with large families of their own, and the parents were elderly. Alone in his study, while neighbors brought food to the kitchen door, Daniel wept and prayed and waited to learn what was required of him. Thee shall cause scandal by keeping the servant girl in thy house, his father admonished. Thee must find a proper mother for thy orphans. Ruth Boyd is also an orphan, Daniel had replied. It was a listless argument, nevertheless. He had taken her from the almshouse on a bond of indenture and did not feel he could return her. He said simply, I cannot take her back there. He thought of the way she had run out to his wagon wearing a torn plaid dress and boots so old they were split at the sides. Her cape was unmended, her felt hat unclean. And when thee is written out of the meeting for keeping an unmarried girl, his father had asked, then where will thee go? I will go to Virginia. It was a muttering, a threat. Land of tolerance. Land of slavery. Daniel's father had a mason's heavy hands. And does thee know what James Madison has done there? Yes, father, but it is only a very mild law which holds, which holds the Constitution in contempt, the old man spluttered. Although the Virginians are intent on breeding presidents, and in fear of justified reprisal from the Federalists, are building a militia. Daniel's father had taken his hat off and was fanning his face. Next they will decide to leave the Union altogether. There is religious freedom. In Brandywine, the elders sat in judgment, measuring each person's response to the voice of God within discipline, a sense of meeting, and no paid labor to be had, his father had stated gloomily. 
I shall labor for myself. This was said with a hint of sinful pride. Thee once quoted John Woolman to me that if the leadings of the spirit were attended to, more people would be engaged in the sweet employment of husbandry. Daniel had gone out to his horse then, remounted, and tried to imagine himself as different from the quiet, internalized person he had always been. He would make himself worthy of farm work, although he had so far never lifted a hand in such labor. He would find rolling land and a fast-running creek. He would drive his children through the Blue Ridge Mountains, and by the time they found a home place, none of them would look back. They had already crossed the Potomac at Evan Watkins Ferry. They had pushed on into Virginia, the old Commonwealth. The children would see this as adventure instead of exile.